Welcome to the Special Needs Kids Are People Too podcast with Amy Bodkin, EDS. Amy is an autistic adult who also happens to be a school psychologist turned special needs consultant and public speaker. She's also a homeschooling mom to two autistic kiddos, a yoga instructor, a card-carrying Trekkie, and an all-around fun person. And last but not least, Amy is an advocate for seeing every child as a person, not a diagnosis. Because a special needs kid is just like any other child, just more so. Here's Amy Bodkin. Hi, I'm Amy Bodkin, coming to you from the blanket fort in my office, and welcome to Special Needs Kids Are People Too. Today, we have a new question from our Q&A series. This question comes from Laura. I can't find any help for this, so if you have tangible ways to create this outcome, great. How do I get extra time for the ACT and SAT for my daughter who qualifies? I have the support of a psychologist, neuropsychologist, and psychiatrist and internist. However, they will not apply for me. I must. How do I do it? This is a really important question. It's one that I have been working on learning a little bit more about as I have my own children coming up getting ready to be able to take the SAT and ACT. So there are several different things here that I want to talk about in response to that question, but I am also going to include links in the show notes for anybody who wants to know what forms do I fill out? How do I make this happen? So let's back up a little bit. First of all, ACT and SAT is something that has been of an interest to me for a while. When I was in um, high school myself, I took both the SAT and the ACT because my particular school required that I take both to graduate. What I learned from that experience is that some people do dramatically better on one test than the other because they're designed differently. So when I took the ACT, the first time taking it pretty cold. I didn't do any major studying. I had a general idea of how the test worked, but I took it cold and I got a 23. When I took the SAT later, same way, pretty cold, just, you know, knowing the basics of how the test works, I got the equivalent of a 27 on the ACT. So that is, you know, a four point difference, which is pretty significant in those numbers because there's only a total possible score of 36. So I decided, well, that's the one I'm going to focus on. So I studied then for the SAT, like really actually studied that time. And it went up to a 30, which was where I wanted to be. So depending on which test you take can have a dramatic impact on the scores that you get. Later on, when I was in graduate school and shortly after I graduated, I worked at Sylvan Learning Center as an ACT prep tutor. So I also learned a great deal about the ACT during that time. And then, of course, having gone through graduate school to be a school psychologist, I'm also very aware of the many debates surrounding the efficacy of using the ACT and SAT for college admissions. So this is definitely an interest area of mine. So let's talk about these tests. What are the pluses? What are the minuses? The purpose of these tests is to try to give all students an opportunity to exhibit their abilities within the same format. So the the idea is to make it so that they each have an equal opportunity to show off their skills as opposed to when you are looking at a transcript, well, depending on the teachers and the courses and the school may have a dramatic impact on a student's GPA or how successful they are. 
And there's a lot of things about those environments you don't know. But with the ACT and SAT, you know what the environments are because they're pretty much the same for every student. And so the idea is that it would give students an equal opportunity to exhibit those abilities. But it's really not an equal opportunity because the same environment does not work well for all students. Even with accommodations, when we're able to get those, it's still not truly a level playing field. Ideally, what I would recommend is making sure that your child takes a practice test of each one and figure out which one they have a more natural inclination for. Then once you have figured that out, then I would go ahead and focus on actually studying for the one that they had the better inclination for. And then see what your scores are when you go in and take it. If it's not as high as you want, then at that point I would go home and I would take a test prep course and see if you can't raise those scores up to where you want them to be. But getting accommodations is definitely a challenge. And there's a reason it's a challenge. There have been many people, probably the most famous case is the one with Aunt Becky from Full House, where people have tried to take advantage of disability services. But it happens all the time and it happens everywhere. I mean, people have done that at Disney for forever, which is why they switched to their fast passes. But the big question remains, what do you need to get accommodations? So each one of those tests is a little bit different. And so they have a little bit different process. This is why I recommend that people take both practice tests at home first, because you don't want to have to go through the process of getting accommodations for both tests if you can help it. And you don't want to just pick the test you did the best on, because that might not be the one that your child has more of a natural inclination for. I did much better on the SAT than I did on the ACT. My last score on the SAT was the equivalent of a 30 on the ACT. So that's a seven point difference. That's huge. Sometimes raising a child with additional needs can be rather lonely. We can feel like we're the only one who is experiencing life the way that we are and feel lost that we don't know what to do next. My membership group provides families with the opportunity to build relationships with other families just like them so that they don't feel alone, so that their kids are able to make friends with other kids who get them. This is something that I help families navigate by walking through this process with them every week. It's like having a concierge school psychologist in your back pocket. But it's not just about the ongoing support, the free yearly testing, the weekly online meetings for kids and for parents. It's about leaving a legacy for your kids and your grandchildren. Check it out at amybodkin.com slash product slash special dash needs dash membership. Now, if you're in public schools, this is super easy because your school will do it for you. Our education system is designed to support the public school system. So it is easy for public schools to gain online access so that they can submit these accommodations to the SAT and the ACT. It is not that it cannot be done for private schools or for homeschoolers, but it is a little bit more tricky because your school does not already necessarily have access to the ACT and SAT. And also, Another aspect is that one of the documents that is really helpful in getting those accommodations is an IEP or a 504. IEP, Individualized Education Plan, and the 504 for the 504 Act. Those documents can be used anywhere. 
They can be used in a homeschool setting. They can be used in a private school setting, but they are often most associated with the public school setting because the laws that created those have teeth that impact public schools. So if a public school does not follow appropriate procedures for IEPs and 504s, then they can get into very big trouble, especially IEPs. 504s, anybody can get in trouble with because that comes through the Americans with Disabilities Act, which has an impact on all of us, any place of business. So even though you can have an IEP as a private school student or as a homeschool student, very often we don't. And a lot of it's because, for instance, if you're at a private school, that school really wants your money because you're paying for it. So it is in their best interest, if they can, to accommodate you. I went to a private school growing up and I never had to fight for accommodations because the teachers always wanted me to succeed to the best of my ability. And one of my teachers especially would not give tests around lunchtime because she knew that if she gave a test around lunchtime, the Ritalin I was taking at the time wouldn't have kicked in and I would not do well on the test. So with a private school, it's often not necessary, even though you could have an IEP. And it's the same way for a homeschool setting. However, that IEP is going to have a lot more power, especially when turned into the ACT or SAT, if the IEP is not written by mom or dad. And honestly, this is where what I do comes into play. And I have given this a lot of consideration because, like I said, I have teenagers now that are going to be beginning to think about this very soon. And I have figured out that there are a lot of ways that I might be able to support families in being able to get those accommodations a little easier. But I can't do it for my own children because I'm also their mother. But thankfully, I do have school psychology friends who may be able to assist me in that when we get to it. But as for how I can help families now, the first thing you're going to need if you want to get accommodations on the ACT-SAT, either one, you're going to need a current IEP or 504. Now, if you don't have those, you could use a diagnostic report from a licensed professional. If it's someone in my membership group or someone who wants to work with me directly, then what I would do is I would create a current IEP. The challenge, and this frustrated me so much when I was in high school, in public schools, they have to reevaluate every three years to prove that the student still has a disability, which can be all kinds of frustrating because I'm not going to suddenly become not autistic. So why do we need to reevaluate me every three years to prove it? Sometimes it doesn't make sense. And because I had not been reevaluated every three years, When I went to apply for a scholarship for students with disabilities, I was turned away because I had not been reevaluated every three years. I do evaluations with my members every year. Now, they have to request it, but if they request it, I will do one every year. And the great thing about having my membership is that in a lot of ways, we're able to document along the way how they're doing, how they're growing, um, what challenges we're seeing, And so we're collecting all of that data. So when you get down to the end of your high school career for your student, you can then say, hey, Amy, we need an IEP. We need some documentation of everything we've been collecting for years. And then I can pull that together to show what we have collected over the years, to show that we have a history of having this diagnosis, that we're not suddenly making up a diagnosis so that we can get the accommodations we want. 
And that's where it gets tricky because sometimes people do that. So that's the first thing you're going to need. The second thing you're going to need is you're going to need to figure out which accommodations you want to request. And it needs to be something reasonable that they will offer, which is difficult because when you're dealing with any kind of a system, you have to work within their framework. So the accommodations you use in your homeschool setting may not be available to you in a public school setting or in a um, testing situation. So some of the things that are more common, things like extended time, taking breaks, reading and seeing accommodations like having a human reader or pre-recorded audio or large print, uh, magnifying glasses, braille, raised line drawings, recording responses. So if the recording of the responses is difficult, there are several different accommodations that you can get for that, like the little bubbling in of the bubbles. Use of a four-function calculator. So if there's a section that doesn't allow you to use a calculator, which all of the math sections allow you to use a calculator, um, then you can get permission to use a simple calculator. And there's also assistive technology. You can use a magnifying machine, screen reader, speech-to-text, electronic or talking calculator, lots of different technologies. Those are, those are the most common ones. Now, there are other accommodations, like you could request a small group setting, preferential seating, wheelchair accessibility, school-based setting, one-to-one setting, um, all of those kinds of things you can request. Now, whether or not you can get those accommodated for, that's the question. There are also physical and medical accommodations, which sometimes people don't think about. Permission for food, drink, or medication, especially if you have a child uh, with diabetes. Permission to test blood sugar, this one definitely applies to that. And they have to have all their testing supplies, and preferably it's going to be a lot easier if they don't have to look at a cell phone to monitor it. So if they have like a separate device that will show them how they're doing. Epinephrine auto-injectors, or basically EpiPens. You do not need an accommodation to have an EpiPen with you. Turns out both the College Board and the ACT don't particularly want to accidentally kill their students while they're taking a test. So if an EpiPen is your only concern, then you should be fine. But a lot of the other things you do need to have accommodations for. Now, so far we have, you need some kind of current IEP or a diagnostic report from a licensed professional. And that report really does need to include a lot of information. And you can go to the link that I'm providing in the show notes to find out all of the specifics. But a lot of it's things like documenting that this has been an ongoing issue, documenting what accommodations have been used in the past, what kind of assessment have we had done. They're going to be looking for at least an achievement test, if not also an occasional IQ test as well. Then your next step is requesting allowable and reasonable accommodations, which we just discussed. So your third thing is going to be documenting prior accommodations. And for each one of these tests, they do that documentation a little bit differently. But honestly, this is where my planning, organizing, and documenting your homeschool, the Neurodivergent Way packet, comes in really handy if you're a homeschooler. Because that packet breaks down how I document our year every single year. And having documentation allows you to go back easier and kind of remember and fill in some of the blanks. And I do that process in one week out of the year. I plan our homeschool, I organize what we're gonna do, and I document the previous year all in one week out of the year, and then I don't touch it. 
So I would definitely check out that packet if you're a homeschooler because it's going to really help you stay on top of documenting regularly, especially since in the documentation part, I do use tests every year. And there are reasons for that because when you come down the end of the line to some of these tests, they're going to be looking for test scores from the past. They're going to be looking for reports, those kinds of things, all of which I help people with in my membership group all the time. I'm also working on being able to connect with the SAT and ACT online to see if perhaps I might be able to submit some of this for parents. Previously, homeschoolers, generally speaking, have to submit this all on their own, but it'd be a lot easier if I could do it for them. So I've gotten part the way through, but there's still a few more hoops to jump through to see if we can make that happen. But that is one of the biggest draws of my membership because I'm working with families as we go along and I'm trying to help them find what documentation they need, keep up with it. Like I, once you turn it into me, I keep it and I don't get rid of it. So once I have all that documentation, then when you get to the end of the line and you need accommodations for an ACT or SAT or college admission, I can make that happen. And that's the great thing about having a school psychologist in your back pocket, whether it's a homeschooling consultant or whether it's at a public school where you have an actual school psychologist for your district or more, or whether it's a private school setting and you decide to work with a homeschool consultant who can keep up with those kinds of things for you since your school doesn't have it. I work with families who have kids in a variety of educational settings. There's no purpose for me doing that for a public school student because a public school student already has access to that through their school psychologist. But private school students and homeschool students, that is definitely a challenge. And having someone who's familiar with, you know, how does that IEP look? How do we document that? That makes a huge difference. It's a huge bonus. And it's going to be a lot cheaper than paying thousands of dollars to a psychologist who may write the report but isn't familiar with how to show the accommodations and how it would look in an educational setting like in an IEP. And so that third step was documenting prior accommodations. Now, your last step, this one's an optional one, getting documentation from other people who have taught your student, whether it's past co-op teachers or a Sunday school teacher, or an out school teacher, any kind of person who has been in a learning situation with your child who can provide some feedback on a survey, that kind of feedback is going to help. And we're going to include links to all of these things in the show notes and break it down so this is as easy as one, two, three, four. So those are the four things you need. Some kind of current IEP or diagnostic report, a request for the allowable reasonable accommodations, documenting prior accommodations, and preferably teacher surveys. Sometimes there's a little bit of paperwork with the forms, but that's just filling out paperwork. So that that's really not anything significant that you need to obtain. And quite honestly, if you're using my planning, organizing, and documenting your homeschool the neurodivergent way packet, you're going to have all of this already. The only thing you'll probably have to do is look back at your history and see, okay, yeah, we took these classes these years. Let me check with that teacher and see if they can write us um, a survey to document. I probably already have past reports. I probably already have yearly testing. So I've already got a lot of that if you're doing it with me through my membership. If you're not doing it with me through your membership, then you have it on your computer because you've been testing every year. You have been documenting as you go. 
So it's just a matter of pulling together. Hopefully you already have a diagnostic report from the past, and then you'd have to probably make an appointment with a licensed professional to get a second round of testing and diagnostic report to prove it. And depending on where you live, that can be expensive, which, I mean, it can be several thousand dollars at least. And that's one of the benefits of my membership because my membership is $40 a month. And with that membership, you get free yearly testing for the whole family. You get weekly activities online for parents and for children so that you can build relationships and have a community. And that also includes my free weekly office hours where people can get on and we can talk about whatever problems are you know, a concern for you right now. And we also have a private online forum. So you have access to me basically anytime I'm awake. And it is a huge benefit being able to have a school psychologist in your back pocket that you can go, hey, this is my problem. How do I navigate this? What do I document? All of those kinds of things. It's basically making your life easier. So in response to Laura's question, how do I get extra time for the ACT and SAT for my daughter who qualifies? I have the support of a psychologist, neuropsychologist, and psychiatrist, and internist. However, they will not apply for me. I must. How do I do it? Definitely start early. Go to all the links that are in the show notes. Gather and fill out the appropriate paperwork and turn it in. Or, if you're a part of my membership, talk to me. Let's discuss this in office hours. See what you have. See what you still need. And let's walk through that process together so that it doesn't have to be overwhelming. And perhaps, if I'm able to manage it, maybe I could even submit it for you. Thanks for joining me today on a topic that is of definite interest to those of us who have gotten towards the end of our high school educational journeys with our children. It's a real challenge being able to get accommodations, and a lot of the reasons it's a big challenge is because people take advantage of the accommodations that are there for students with disabilities. But we can still fight to get those accommodations for our kids so that they can have a more even playing field on which to pursue their dreams. Thanks for joining me this week, and we'll see you next time. We hope you had fun listening to today's episode and gained some new insights into the wonderful variety of people in our world. You can find out more about Amy's advocacy work at amybodkin.com. And remember, special needs kids are people too.